3: It's going to be an interesting day. It's going to be a very interesting day. I want to start out with this question. Can America function as a multiracial, multi-ethnic, multi-religious democracy? Louise and I took a drive. We <laughs> got to get stirred crazy. You know, it's the first time actually in almost two years that we've burned any gasoline of any consequence. We took a drive to a rural area of Oregon yesterday we're thinking maybe we'd find a restaurant where we could sit outside or something but what we found was in these small towns in counties in oregon where they're still having really high covid rates nobody's wearing masks and the restaurants were packed and uh, we were not willing to walk in so we uh, drove through a taco bell <laughs> ate in the car with the dogs but anyhow it was a nice it was a nice trip but as we were driving through this one town i saw a couple of guys with like brush cuts and kind of looking very military but obviously not military and i said uh, okay democratic voter or republican voter and she's like republican we play that little game for a few minutes and uh, you know obviously it's very superficial but if you look at the people who show up for republican party gatherings versus the people who show up for democratic party gatherings you can kind of spot at least a lot of folks political affiliations just by how they're dressing how they wear their hair, who they are, essentially. The same thing, you know, with protests in favor or opposition to police violence. And the bottom line is when a country's politics stops being about issues, it's like we're, we're not really seriously debating issues right now. We're debating identity, who should be in charge, who's, I mean, that's the essence of this whole thing with Joe Manchin and HR1 white supremacy has now officially gone bipartisan now i realize white supremacy has always been bipartisan but many of us hoped that the democratic party would abandon white supremacy that was the kind of the official position in 1965. when a country's politics stop being about policy and start being about identity you know that that country is starting to go through some sort of major, or is in the middle of some sort of major societal change. And part of that society is pushing back aggressively. And that's exactly what's happening here in the United States. And it boils down to this question of, are we going to continue to be, in terms of who controls the levers of power, both at the political level and at the business level, are we gonna continue to be basically a white Christian, male-dominated ethnostate, or will we become a multiracial, multireligious, you know, kind of multidimensional, multiethnic, pluralistic democracy? Joe Manchin just tossed in with the uh, white ethnostate folks, basically. By the way, this is my rant over at HartmanReport.com as well. The election of Obama was, uh, in my opinion, a statement of the possibility that America could become a multiracial democracy. But the backlash, I mean, you you, you could argue, and a number of people have over the years, that the backlash to the Obama presidency is what brought us Trump. I'm not sure that that's entirely true, but I think that that is a piece of the analysis. And we're certainly seeing it in a big way right now. Here's why. In, In 1965, when the uh, Voting Rights Act and the Civil Rights Act were passed, America was over 80% white, over 85% white, in fact. Today, we're about 60% white. And a lot of that change came about because LBJ pushed through Congress a change to our immigration laws that basically stopped racial quotas. It used to be that we would only accept a number of immigrants from a country. How do I say this? If America was... 10% 10% black prior to 1965, we would not accept black citizens from countries that were predominantly black as more than 10% of all our immigrants. If we were 90, 80% white, we had to accept 80% white people from principally white countries. That, that was the law up until 1965. And LBJ just blew that up and said, no, no more racial quotas. And then Reagan actually increased that with his amnesty, he brought three million Hispanics into the, into the population and also basically told white employers, you'll no longer go to jail for hiring people who aren't citizens, and which led to another big wave of immigration. And so America is now much more diverse than we were 50, 60 years ago. And Joe Manchin yesterday uh, or day before yesterday published this op ed saying that this is a quote from his article, politicians who ignore the need to secure our elections, end quote. Well, you know, 2020 was the most secure election in history, right? I mean, look at all the, the votes that got counted and recounted and recounted again. More people were struck by lightning last year than committed voter fraud. Mondaire Jones tweeted, uh, Manchin's op-ed might as well be titled, Why I'll Vote to Preserve Jim Crow. And, I, you know, I think it's a, it's a pretty good one. The only people talking about securing our elections, other than Joe Manchin, are Republicans. So here's the bottom line, you know, from the founding of the Republic, from 1776 until 1920, when women got the vote with the 19th Amendment, the big question was, can white men govern themselves or basically govern the country? From 1920 to 1965, the question was, can white men and women govern the country? But since 1965, the question should have become or finally become, can America function as a multiracial, racial multi-ethnic, multi-religious democracy? And the Republicans sadly are saying no, and Joe Manchin has joined them in that. By the way, the U.S. Chamber of Commerce just announced that they are, which is, by the way, the largest lobbying group in the United States. The U.S. Chamber of Commerce just announced uh, David Lauder writing over at Reuters, The U.S. Chamber said it is backing Democratic Senators Joe Manchin and Kirsten Sinema with campaign contributions as a reward for their opposition to Joe Biden's legislative initiatives and for trying to work with Republicans. Right. Now, I did see one commentator who Palmer Report guy who, you know, who gets some some coverage. Saying, "Oh no, they're playing three-dimensional chess." Essentially, uh, what you're seeing right now is a very awkward dance from a mediocre politician who's trying to be so loud about opposing voting rights legislation. No one will notice when he ends up quietly voting for it. I don't think so. I don't think so. So, can we become a multiracial, multiethnic, multi-religious, genuinely pluralistic democratic nation? Can we? I think it's it's an open question right now, and it's one that we need to be, frankly, talking about and addressing. You know, are we going to fulfill the "all men are created equal" or "all people are created equal" at least ideal of our founding and the explicit and open goal of, of you know the legislation that was passed in 1965? I'm still hopeful. This is the Tom Hartman Program. But I am concerned. I am very concerned that we are sliding backwards rapidly. This is a real challenge. This is a very real challenge that Democrats and the Senate are now facing because Senator Cinema went on TV with John Cornyn, the Republican from Texas, one of the more toxic, you know, deeply in the pockets of the fossil fuel billionaires went on TV with him and said, oh, the filibuster is just to make us work together because that's how it was designed. No, it wasn't designed that way. It was designed to stop any discussion in the 1837 was the first year it was applied by John C. Calhoun. And it was designed to block any discussion of abolition of slavery, pure and simple. And so you've got cinema saying this. You've got Joe Manchin saying this. We know now that Manchin is a, a graduate of ALEC. Is a whole bunch of right-wing billionaire money that normally flows into, say, for example, the pockets of John Cornyn or Ted Cruz, is that money now flowing into the pockets of Kirsten Cinema and Joe Manchin? Is that what's going on? Are we watching Two United States senators, two Democratic United States senators being bought off right in front of our eyes? I can come up with no other explanation. Can you? I mean, why would they do this? Joe in Los Angeles. Hey, Joe, thanks for listening to us on KPFK. Hey, Joe, what's up?
4: So, speaking about
3: Joe Manchin,
4: you know, I believe he's either disingenuous. Or dishonest because he's facil- he's facilitating authoritarianism, as uh, Jim Clyburn said, as Jamie Harrison said yesterday. You know, are you supporting the filibuster or are you supporting democracy? At this point, you have to choose which is going to be.
3: Yeah, I think both then, both Mansion and Cinema are putting personal interest above country. I don't know any other yeah. way
4: to say it. Yeah, and then finally, I hear Mansion likes to channel Robert Byrd. He likes to think he's. Continuing that
3: tradition, well, I knew Robert Byrd. Robert Byrd was a friend of mine. Joe Manchin, you're no Robert Byrd. And Robert Byrd was, at one point in time, he was actually a Klan member, a fairly high-up Klan member. And then he repudiated all that in the 60s and said, okay, that's it. I'm not that anymore. And made good on it. I think Manchin forgot that part. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but you know Robert Byrd was a very smart man, at least in some regards. You know, if you set aside his uh, the racial blindness of his early years, I'm not sure that Joe Manchin's that smart. I'm I'm increasingly coming to that conclusion that the Kirsten Cinema is, is, is that she's just this generation's Roseanne Barr. You know, look at me, look at me. I'll do whatever gets me in the headlines, and that Joe Manchin isn't far behind. There's probably not a lot of downside to this to him. Because the Democratic Party can't afford to abandon him. They have no leverage over him. He's kind of a unicorn in West Virginia. He's this guy, this uh, an elected Democrat in a state that won 30 points for Donald Trump. You could argue that he's got to stay there, he's got to hold on to that position. I'm not sure that that's you know, a totally legitimate argument to, you know, to get reelected and, and hold on to his position you know now he's got the chamber with him i'm guessing that the coke network has lined up uh, i think that there's some substantial evidence that the coke network has lined up behind joe mansion coke network of course is three to six times larger than the republican party in terms of staffing and offices and budgets it's like the shadow political party in the united states so uh, you know we'll see where this goes we'll see how it plays out and how it shakes out but nothing would surprise me right now joe If he became a Republican, it wouldn't surprise me. And there's a big move to do that right now. Steve Bannon was plugging that on his radio show this weekend. What's Joe Manchin going to do? Well, time will tell. I think that we're going to find out. At the moment, democracy is hanging by a thread. The other part of that, of course, is H.R. 1, Senate Bill 1, it really needs to be redone. And so maybe this is a blessing in disguise. of other things that i uh, i wanted to uh, share with you one in particular was the rant that i put out on the internet on saturday uh, the poor tortured praying republicans this just blew my mind i mean it just absolutely blew my mind if the uh, governor of utah spencer cox uh, or his wife Anne, uh, both good mormons very religious folks were diagnosed with heart disease and at high risk for a heart attack Odds are they would get on their knees and pray, and then they would go to their doctor. And they probably wouldn't, particularly after they talk to their doctor, show up at the uh, fatty food all-you-can-eat buffet and chow down on heart attack-inducing fried foods. Right? Not going to happen. Utah right now is in a severe drought, as is much of the United States. People focus on California, but this is happening from the Midwest all the way across to the Western states. Weather patterns are changing as a result of our climate emergency. So they're in a severe drought. Their cities, Utah cities are cutting back on water use, agriculture is in trouble. There are terrible forest fires, uh, brush fires. There's even a dam that generates electricity where the uh, water behind the dam has reached the point where they're within a few weeks of maybe having to shut that dam down. And so the governor goes before the people. He comes out and he says, okay, we've got this problem. You know, we've got this drought. And so uh, here's what I want you all to do, pray. Now, the state did put into place, you know, some, you know, don't water your lawns and stuff like that. But, you know, his principal advice was pray. Now, if all he was asking of Utahans, people in you know, citizens of Utah, was to pray and to conserve water, I suppose you could say at the very worst, you know, it's not going to do any harm. But a couple of weeks before, Governor Cox signed two letters, one that he signed with Mitt Romney and the entire Republican Utah congressional delegation to Joe Biden, this first letter saying basically, how dare you stop exploration for gas and oil on public lands, large chunks of Utah, federal public lands. How dare you? We don't want you to do this. We want to be able to have more fossil fuels. He also signed a nearly identical letter that was signed by the governors of uh, Wyoming, Alabama, Alaska, Arizona, Arkansas, Idaho, Indiana, Mississippi, Missouri, Montana, Nebraska, North Dakota, Oklahoma, South Dakota, Tennessee, and Texas. All Republicans. Again, saying, we want more fossil fuels out of our public lands. I mean, here's the bottom line. This tragic reality is that when Jimmy Carter back in 1977 said, we've got to do something about this climate crisis that is coming. We need to get off fossil fuels. At that point, the fossil fuel industry said, okay, that's it for the Democratic Party. We are going to get in bed with the Republicans in a big way. And they sure were. I mean, you know, Reagan took the solar panels off the roof of the White House that Jimmy Carter had put there for example, and now Republicans are just living in absolute terror of these fossil fuel billionaires and of the fossil fuel industry, an industry that spent 60 years lying about and covering up what they knew about how their product was destroying the planet. So we've got a bunch of terrified Republicans. It must be really difficult to be a Republican politician with children or grandchildren, knowing that you are setting your own children and grandchildren up to experience a crisis that some of them may not even survive. Can you imagine? We've got to help these poor, sad, pathetic Republicans. We need to free them from the saddle that the fossil fuel billionaires in that corrupt industry put on their backs. We need to pass legislation overturning Citizens United and pass the For the People Act, which, uh, you know, takes a bite out of Citizens United, ending the ability of billionaires and industries to threaten, intimidate, and uh, basically own politicians or political parties. You know, it's like the poor dogs in the TV shelter ads, you know, these ads you see on TV. These Republicans need our help. Let's work to save them, to rescue them, to free them. So call your senators and let them know it's time to end Citizens United. And, you know, I was going to say pass for the People Act. It looks like Joe Manchin has put a nail in that one. We'll see. I mean, you know, we we will see how this shakes out. But I think that we've got a big problem here with an entire political party that is captive, uh, that has been captured by one of the most destructive, poisonous, lying industries on earth we got to do something about this. You're listening to the Tom Hartman Program. It's talk media for the sane among us. We'll be right back. Sometimes Louise and I just crave a restaurant-quality dinner at home without doing all the work or driving. Well, Cook Unity is the first chef-to-you service delivering locally sourced meals from award-winning chefs right to your door Every week, and it appears to be less expensive than other delivery options. Go to cookunity.com/slash Hartman with two ends or enter the code Hartman with two ends before checking out for 50% off your first week. We just received our first meals from Cook Unity, and what a huge difference it is to get the best chefs in the country to bring creative, delicious meals to us and you every week. Every meal is handcrafted by chefs and made in local micro kitchens, not large production facilities. That's 50% off your first week by using the code HARTMAN or going to cookunity.com slash HARTMAN.
1: Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe, now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best... To let sleeping dogs lie. Visit com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs. Now on digital. That's com
3: slash Wondery. Rachel in Needham, Massachusetts. Hey, Rachel, what's on your mind today?
5: What's on my mind is that the corporations are the ones who brought in black people to this soil, right? Way back when. They also brought the Mexicans in, as you talk about earlier in the show.
3: They brought white people in, too, Rachel. (laughs) It was the exploration of, it wasn't a corporation, it was the the, the Queen of Spain, you know, who financed that. But Mm -hmm. Jamestown was founded, the first settlement in North America was founded by the British East India Company. It was named after King James, who was the largest stockholder at the time and was king at the time. And the state of of Virginia was named after the Virgin Queen, Queen Elizabeth I, who, who created the charter for the East India Company. So from a Native American perspective, it all worked out badly.
5: And so with that said, here the Republicans, the corporations are blaming everybody else for what they've done. When I thought of that, I said, you know what? Here they are blaming the Democrats for all this kind of stuff. And... So I was thinking, well, how can we look back at them? And that's what I came to, is that they're the ones who created this. And of course, Dems are slow to do anything. And so if we just started talking about that, that the Republicans, the corporations are the one who brought this all, and we're gonna fix it, right? I think the way we can fix it is to look at the young people. Because oh, me, I, I'm an yeah. old folk. I grew up in a way where, you know, all the stuff that was told to me as a kid was, you know, blacks are scary, all of that kind of stuff. And now, you know, the, the young people are protesting like they did Friday in front of the White House, protesting against climate change and, you know, to get Biden to do something. And I wrote, I uh, sent an email to the WhiteHouse.gov saying, you know, bring these kids in. You know, talk to them about your climate change, listen to their climate change, and then talk to them about the Voting Rights Act that we're trying to get through and yeah. have them work together so that we can get something done because the ball is in the young people's hands at this point. Yeah. You know, they're I, I, the I'm ones who are going
3: to inherit it all. The Republican efforts to make it harder to vote or to give Republican state officials the ability to ignore votes or throw votes out, is targeting young people as aggressively as it's targeting people of color and social security aged people people over 65 who might you know want to vote from home because standing in line is uncomfortable when you get into your 70s and 80s and 90s and you may not even have a, an active driver's license any longer those are the three groups that they're going after young people people of color and older people the republicans are going after so you know yeah saturday i read this amazing new book by uh, christopher ryan titled Civilized to Death, as I recall is the title, and it was about how uh, indigenous people lived all around the world, the origins of modern civilization and how civilization has warped humanity and is in the process of destroying the planet, what we call civilization, and how we really need to adopt the value systems of these what I call older cultures in in my book, Last Hour's Mm -hmm. Beach and Sunlight. And I I really think that there's a lot of truth to it, and and I think you'd find it fascinating. Carol in Manesson, Pennsylvania. Hey, Carol.
6: First of all, we know that we have one party out of two, which will obstruct anything that our president wants to do. That's a given, all right? Sure. And we have one judge in California who overrules the A-15 assault ban in a state where millions want it to be banned. That's correct. And we have one senator from West Virginia, Joe Manchin, who can stop 330 million people from the voting rights they need and the infrastructure they need. How can we call this a democracy? I mean, I thought it was a democracy by the people, not by one person with an agenda or by one party with an agenda. So I guess my conclusion is that anybody who doubts that Trump and his minions can take down our democracy had better wake up to how little we have left of it.
3: Yeah. I wrote a chapter years ago about this in one of my books titled James Madison's Nightmare. Madison, the father of the Constitution, was very, very freaked out about the possibility that special interest groups is what we would call them today. He called them factions back then, people whose, quote, interests are adverse to the country, end quote. Uh, Mm -hmm. Adverse being the old word for in opposition to that those people would rise up and take over. I mean they cuz we don't really have a democracy. We have a representative democracy. In fact, we have a constitutionally limited representative democracy. We don't write the laws and we don't vote on the laws. We elect people to do that for us and and we assume that they're going to represent us honestly and fairly. And Madison's fear and he laid this out in Federalist 10, which is still a damn good read, although, you know, you have to read it slowly and carefully, but it's not that long. Madison's fear was that faction would end up taking over large chunks of the legislative process. And mm-hmm. that's exactly what has happened. Uh, you know, and, 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 and it had happened by the 1830s, frankly. I mean, it was just kind of built into the system. We've tried numerous times to deal with that. You had the Tillman Act in 1907. Well, actually, before that, in, in uh, 18, I think it was 1881, you had the Sherman Antitrust Act to block the power of faction. Um, mm-hmm. In 1907, you had the Tillman Act that Teddy Roosevelt got passed that made it a federal felony for any corporation to give money to any politician running for, for federal office. In the 1970s, we had a, a numerous, multiple good government laws to try to get money under control, you know, control of money in politics. All of those things were struck down by the Supreme Court in 76 and 78 in their Buckley and Bellotti decisions, and then doubled down on striking them down with Citizens United, which is why I wrote that whole book, you know, The Hidden History of the Supreme Court and the Betrayal of America, because the the Supreme Court just has this insane history of betraying this country. We are a democracy to the extent that we still vote. We still say if you win the majority of the votes, you are elected. You've got now a half a dozen Republican-controlled states that have said, even if you get the majority of the votes, we can throw those votes out. We can choose not to count those votes and therefore, you know, et cetera. So we are not a democracy, I mean, essentially is what they're saying.
6: And also 43 states now have these rules going, including Pennsylvania, which is my state. Yeah. And luckily, we have Josh Shapiro as our attorney general here. He yeah. is absolutely fabulous.
3: Well, and you've got Fetterman as your secretary of state, who's going to be running yes. for, for the Senate. Yes. And, oh, and he's, yes. he's going to give, because uh, Pat Toomey is retiring, he's going to give them a run for their money. So, oh he's wonderful. He yeah,
6: is. Yeah. But anyway, I just I, I worry about this because it seems to me that we have very little democracy left as it is. And also I wanted to mention that Joe Manchin, I heard I don't I can't prove it, I don't have my source, that he is being paid by the Koch brothers.
3: He is certainly being supported by some aspects of the Koch network. And Alec. It, yeah. yeah, not just Alec. I mean, he's a former member of Alec. But I'm waiting for a David sorota type reporter to do a deep, deep dive on that. Because, I hope. Yeah, yeah, I think we'll, <laughs> we'll find out some <laughs> pretty good stuff. Tom. Thank you, Carol. Great talking with you. Mike, in Cleveland, Georgia. Hey, Mike, what's on your mind today?
7: Oh, uh, I feel a little inadequate to the task, brother, man, but uh, my wife and I look at these things on a spiritual level, and it looks to me like the demographics is the big issue. Mm-hmm. The one we've been looking at is, and done some studying on, I'm pitifully inadequate and in compared to some of the folks that you got in yourself. But it looks to me like we're shooting towards the palestinian model we're sending a fair amount of our police over here to go over to israel to study how they do things over there Yep. you ain't gotta lock everybody in a box all you gotta do is shut down three roads and turn off the power Yep. we're in a dangerous in my opinion I'm, my heart's about to come out of my chest because i can't properly articulate the danger we are in and i'm not an alarmist i'm not a scaredy critter I'm an ocean-going, fun-loving kind of critter, but what we got going on here is a serious threat to all of humanity, and it's the powers that be trying to hold on.
3: It absolutely I mean, is.
7: I don't know. I don't know where we go from here, but we can't play with this. This is a jackboot kind of society issue, and we should be familiar with it. It had to be bothered to read any history. Yeah. But unfortunately,
3: we uh, fought a war against this in the '40s.
7: Yeah, I know, and it's, I mean, you know, it's right on top of us, and I look at these people doing these street checks on people's intelligence, and it's kind of scary.
3: Yeah, I mean, well, really you can thank scary. Bill Bennett and Ronald Reagan for a lot of that, you know. Take the teaching of history and civics out of our schools, and and uh, then the Texas uh, School Book Project where, you know, virtually all the textbooks in America are routed through the Texas Board of Education, because they're the largest single purchaser of school books, and, and they want books that say a particular thing and uh you know we've got a we've got a lot of people who are very very uninformed i'm with you mike i'm i'm very concerned too on the other hand i think we've got a lot of awakened people right now
7: it really comes down to every one of those awakened people getting up on the voting machines
3: yep yep and or at least getting out and voting yeah i'm with you mike i gotta move along but thank you for the call randy in uh cypress california hey randy thanks for listening to kpfk what's up
8: Good morning, Tom. Thank you for taking my call. Quick comment, quick rant, and then I'll get off the air. Uh, We know McConnell hasn't wanted to govern to help the American people since President Obama. Now we got Manchin and McConnell blocking President Biden's agenda. Your thoughts, and what can we do? We've got to sit here and take it and... uh, I'm
9: fed up with it, I'm frustrated.
3: McConnell never wanted to do, to help the American people. McConnell has always, throughout his entire political career, has always been a creature of large corporations and very wealthy billionaires. But, you know, with that minor correction, I agree with absolutely everything you said, Randy. We can speak out. We can call our members of Congress. We can vote. We can join activism groups like uh, Indivisible.org. We can join the Democratic Party and get inside it and try to strengthen it and build it and make it more progressive. We may have to wait until after the 2022 election to really have high-impact stuff, and that's going to require us to take a couple more Senate seats so the mansion and cinema become irrelevant. And that's possible, and we've got to hold on to the House. I mean, we just, we can't stop. We've got to double our efforts. Randy, thank you for the call. Let's see here, Dave in Federal Way, Washington. Hey, Dave, what's up?
2: Hey, not too much, Tom. You're asking the trillion-dollar question that keeps me preoccupied. Will America remain a pluralistic democracy? Or become one. Look, Well, or become a fully realized one, yes, of course. George Will and Gordon Brown, there are two things they said that I think the majority of Americans don't understand, but I understand. Gordon Brown said that in, in regards to China, are we going to become a one world, two systems? All right, now that sounds almost ridiculous. And then George Will said that for the first time in American history, we have a major political party that is not only scared of their voters, does not like their voters. Okay, and you have to listen to Trumpers, all right? You have to listen. It's not their fault. They are succumbing to the big lie. The big lie erodes objective perception of truth, all right? They have no objectivity. They believe that they are living vicariously through Trump. They cannot live vicariously through Ted Cruz. They can sense the because Ted, Ted Cruz, Cruz doesn't
3: tell lies as good as as effectively. Well, Ted Cruz doesn't like them. Ted Cruz is
2: not in their bracket yeah. economically, in their bracket. Okay. Yeah. Now, Gordon Brown is talking about one. The world. British conservative just, former
3: prime minister. Yeah.
2: Yeah, and what he's talking about is essentially the overwhelming pull the gravitational pull of authoritarianism and this is the thing you know i, I think it's possible petro poroshenko was uh, prime minister of the ukraine okay he was a billionaire all right long story short you mentioned bernie one time i proudly supported bernie in the primaries okay but I also proudly support Joe Biden because Bernie, even though I think he is a little bit, probably would make a better president. Look at what these Republicans would have done to Bernie. All right. Bernie is Jewish. Well, I'm not I'm Trump not sure. I, I
3: don't want to relitigate the primaries. And in fact, right. I, I want to just stay away from that topic. But but, Dave, your your points are all spot on. Thank you very much for the call. Rick in Irwin, Tennessee. Hey, Rick, what's up?
2: Yeah, as far as making cinema, and um, I don't want to be morbid, but uh, a lot of them Republican guys are really getting up there in age.
3: This is why I think they're willing to literally end democracy in the United States. We've gone from 85% white America in 1965 to 60% white America today. And uh, for the last six years, the majority of babies being born are not white. More than 50% are not white. So the Republicans, being the party of white supremacy, and I mean, ever since Richard Nixon declared the Southern Strategy in '68, and Reagan followed on, and and you know Bush Senior with his Willie Horton ads, and I mean, you just see the whole, you know, the whole, and then Trump, of course, you know, with birtherism and everything else. What we have here is the Republican Party basically has become the party of white supremacy. Period. Full stop. And white people are dying off or, shall we say, being replaced. And it's got uh, a lot of these people freaked out. Lewis in Norristown, Pennsylvania. Hey, Lewis.
9: I want to say, first of all, that we are grossly underestimating how the media's complacency is helping fascism grow in this country. Now, I feel like people with big platforms can and should reach out to producers of, like, let's say, CNN and the major news networks and convince them to do segments, for example. Do a, a daily segment of how life in Myanmar and other post-coup military country is like. Right. Do daily shows, sections, drawing parallels between how fascism has historically grown in other countries yeah. and how it's growing in- Louis, here's the country. problem.
3: The mm-hmm. producers at the big networks do not respond to public pressure. They respond to basically the ownership of those networks and these networks are owned by large, very conservative, multinational corporations, MSNBC, CNN, ABC, NBC, CBS.
9: But the radiants are filming though.
3: Yeah, no, I get it, but I I don't see a way, frankly, to seriously lobby those folks, sadly. Marta in Big Bear Lake, California. Hey Marta, what's on your mind today?
1: Yes, I agree with you so much, but I'm not 100% sure that the racial backlash since Obama is what I see as the full issue. I'm meeting some more racists in my neighborhood. And, you know, it really upsets me. But what I am finding is how many people voted for Obama and then turned around and voted for Trump. And I ask myself constantly why it is. And you talk about all the issues. And, you know, we are not going to keep the House and the presidency unless we meet people's needs. The lower and middle class uh, and working class are not benefiting from the Walmart economy and the Wall Street economy. Small businesses are suffering. And what I'm finding is these racial bigots did not go to college. So we know that when people go to college, they learn more about economics, sociology, and everything else. And, you know, you give so many wonderful solutions, and people need to go to college, but they also need to have good-paying jobs, strong infrastructure bill, health care, you know, free college, all of these things, good wages, all of these things we're not getting since 2008. We've gone more and more towards austerity. So my solutions, just in a nutshell, is strong, progressive populist issues and free college. And I think that's the only way that we can move forward. And then people won't, you know, they won't be sucked into this Fox News misinformation and ignorance that immigrants are the problem and Black Lives Matter is the problem. You know, they'll learn more from, you know, going to college. And that's how California just, you know, did so well when college was free until until Reagan, you know so you know what i'm saying all the things that you talk about let's focus on that and keep congress in the white house
3: i agree Marta. and the problem is that you have to have a governing majority to do those things and there are these structural inequities built into the system that the republicans identified back in the 1960s when you had a lot of the midwestern states were very very blue you know heavily unionized and very democratic and 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 the Republican Party said, okay, we're gonna rebrand our party as the party of NASCAR, as the party of the average Joe, we're gonna rebrand the Democrats as the party of the pointy-head elitists who all went to college and lived in big cities. The Republicans were actually quite successful in that rebranding effort, particularly in low-population states where the media costs were small, where it was relatively inexpensive to reach large numbers of people uh, you know relative uh, I mean <laughs> relatively large numbers of people there's only you know fewer than a million people in Wyoming for example um, so it' was cheap to indoctrinate people and and now they've got this because you know the because of the way the Senate is set up low population states Wyoming with less than a million fewer than a million people, California with, what is it, 30 million, more or less. Both have two senators, so you've got that. And then you've got Republicans in individual states pushing gerrymandering to the point that states like Pennsylvania and Wisconsin and Michigan, actually more people vote for Democrats for the House of Representatives than vote for Republicans, yet their congressional delegations are majority Republican. And that's because of you know redistricting and gerrymandering. We've got to solve all those things. Marta, thank you for the call. James in Chicago. Hey, James, what's on your mind today?
8: You mentioned that uh, 60% of the U.S. is white when uh, I come across.
3: Quick math, the less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. With higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution and borrowing, everything costs more. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR, By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash Hartman with two N's. netsuite.com slash Hartman. That's netsuite.com slash Hartman.
1: CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be.
8: has states a uh, higher number. Uh,
3: Google well, d- d- It uh, depends Google on, on whether you're code. counting Hispanics or not. That's correct. Counting
8: Hispanics, that can go as high as 73%. Correct. And I've read as high as 80%. Right.
3: But reason, uh, there are a lot of Hispanics who would tell you that they are not treated as if they were white people by a lot of white people.
8: Understood. I am not white. I am African-American. i been a fan of politics and a uh, close watcher of things political since uh, just before Reagan uh, took office. My observation is these folks, you know, the Republican voters this day and time uh, are not folks who care anything at all about the interest of anyone non-white. They've been led to believe that uh, their greatest threat is not corrupt industries, poisoning their water, taking their kids' education, or even things particular to uh, the pandemic. Their greatest threat is minorities and immigrants. You can't convince them otherwise in my history of knowing them.
3: Oh, and this is happening all over the world, James. I mean, this is, it is immigration uh, as a consequence largely of climate change, but also, you know, war in, in uh, Northern Africa and, and, and the Middle East, the violence from Yemen all the way up, fleeing into Europe. And these non white Europeans coming into Europe is what has kicked the right in Europe up to the point where they think that Marine Le Pen may even win the next election in France. Uh, you've got okay. a huge right wing in Sweden now because Sweden brought in a lot of refugees. It was what Viktor Orban used when he seized power in Hungary 10, 15 years ago. You know it was all about the immigrants his main campaign promise was that he would build a wall along the southern border of hungary to keep out immigrants from northern africa and he did by the way he did build a wall and so this i mean this kind of thing is happening in countries uh, run by white people all over the world and it's not just countries run by white people you've got modi in india now who is promoting the idea of hindu nationalism and trashing muslims And, you know, so it's like this is just, you know, the world needs to get beyond this.
8: Right. If I can keep the conversation for the United States, we now have the big fear of democracy uh, itself falling right here in the United States. And, you know, I feel as though there's a need for an alarm call from decent white Americans to Republican white Americans to let them know that you've been taken advantage of, you know, for the last 40 to 50 years and how. And if this continues, or you simply just, you know, cast your ballot with uh, because of reasons so simplified as immigrants and minorities, that you will ensure that you know democracy falls. You continue, and your children continue to be taken advantage of. For white America, to talk to white America at yep. this point, there's no need for any further input from minorities or immigrants at this point.
3: James, it's, you know, my, my audience on this program is overwhelmingly white. And I, every day, day am trying to talk to white people, fellow white people, about these issues. And I, I completely agree. I think this is a white problem. Uh, this is not a problem in the African-American community. It's not a problem in the Hispanic community, you know, the, the, the problem of white power in America and white discrimination and white, white-based racism. And it's one that white people are going to have to resolve. And it's, you know, I, it, with the 2022 elections, my sense of it, and I'm not a particularly competent progno- prognosticator about, you know, election outcomes. Um, but uh, my sense of it is either it's going to be a blowout election on, for the Democrats or the Republicans are going to squeak by again and they're gonna hold back, using their structural advantages, You know, both filibusters and states where they're, excuse me, uh, gerrymandering in the states that they control and uh, using their, their presence in the Senate uh, with all these low population states. Um, if, if it's not a blowout for the Democrats and if we don't substantially increase our majority in the House and Senate, Uh, in the 2022 election so that we can actually start passing legislation that that fixes some of these problems i'm very uh, worried about the future of uh, america itself you know as as a democratic nation and and i think those those concerns are being shared by a lot of people in a whole lot of other countries i mean you've got now in israel netanyahu coming out and going uh, this is the most fraudulent election in the history of the world, right? Or words right. to that effect. Um, you know, he's 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 running the Trump playbook. It's it's like and and, and Trump was running the Orban playbook, and it's right. just like it's like all these all these right wing authoritarians. They they've got this thing done, and and you know, and for Netanyahu, it's a, a lot of it has hmm. been about racism, trashing the Arabs, and and so it, it's.
8: Uh, I, I think I think white America. Needs to uh, hurry to get out ahead of this, yeah. And, to, and, and there seems to be uh, someone of, of of importance, like um, like our president, to notify white folks that this is going to happen again. It has been happening again and again, and a lot of people don't realize how much seventy three percent or or above, uh, which is white America, constitutes. How much you know constitutes uh, these these people that keep the Republican Party in power yeah. by default. Yeah, I, uh, and I, I'm at 60%, with percent And that 60% of uh, Republican, I'm sorry, 90% of Republican voters are white, mm. 60% of white Americans vote Republican. And yeah. and since the ethnic majority of this country is white, uh, when you're talking you know, voter registration, voter turnout increases, we need to make an alarm call to white americans yeah. from white
3: American. white americans of, of good conscience and good faith i'm, I'm with you james right. thank you absolutely I, I couldn't have said it better natalie in opalika alabama am i saying that right natalie
0: yes you are tom hey what's Hi, up i was glad you mentioned the book civilized to death by chris ryan mm-hmm. i think it was good because in that he talked about the knowledge of indigenous peoples And I think nowadays we live in a world where people are not knowledgeable about the world that we live in, the actuality, reality, things like that. You know, imagine a person who can get up in the morning and never touch the ground. They always hit pavement or concrete. Mm -hmm. And um, what he pointed out is that reality is what we take to be true which is what we believe, which is based on what we perceive, which depends on what we look for, which depends on what we think, and what we think depends on what we perceive, which determines what we believe, and that determines our reality. So we have a problem here in America where people are being fed this, you know, BS Um, on the internet and things, Mm -hmm. and it's not any kind of basis in reality. Whereas previously, indigenous people had to trust the people that they talked to. Mm -hmm. You had the ability to know information. You see what I mean?
3: I absolutely do. I I thought the book was extraordinary. I I laid out a lot of this stuff back in 1996 when I wrote Last Hours of Ancient Sunlight. The entire middle of the book is about how our crisis is not a crisis of technology, it's a crisis of culture, and we need to learn the lesson of these ancient societies who learned how, through long and painful trial and error, no doubt, you know, in the 200,000 years of human history, learned how to interact with their environment in a way that was appropriate. And yes. we have completely forgotten that in the last 7,000 years, at least we who are in the so-called civilized world. There are still Aboriginal and Indigenous people among us who do remember these things, and even modern Aboriginal and Indigenous people who remember these things even though they live our lifestyle. And that's like many of the Native there. Americans, and they're yelling at us, they're yelling at us.
0: There is a backlash against indigenous peoples, like uh, a lot of the discrimination in Mexico and the oh, Central yeah. American countries.
3: It's and it's a backlash that is being fueled by people who want to steal their land, who want to steal their resources, who want to you know burn down you know uh, log yes. their their the jungles where they whatever it may be. I mean, it, this is being driven by economics as much as anything else. Natalie, yes. thank you, thank you. The book, by the way, I, I highly recommend this book. It's called uh, Civilized to Death by Christopher Ryan. And it's a book you can read you know, in a day if you're a fast reader. It's remarkable. Reginald in Long Beach, California. Hey, Reginald, what's on your mind today? The
9: guy that was on earlier, he kind of said it. The, uh, the media and how the media is not supporting oh, you yeah. know, the uh, pre-thinking people out there. Who see that a lie is a liar is a liar, yeah. and he's not going to speak the truth, you know And we need to, I think, we need to find a way of bringing the weight of who these people really are down on them, because they are they are a pest, They are pernicious, they are, they are like a disease, like a rust, you know, that will not stop in its quest to take over stuff, take over society.
3: What, what we're looking at, Reginald, I think, to a large extent, is the, the triumph of monopoly. And if, yeah. if CNN, back when CNN was owned by Ted Turner and all it was was a news agency, um, you know, they, they had damn good news. Um, if if these uh, if all these networks had to just be networks rather than being mm-hmm. appendages to large multinational corporations, I think we would have a very different news environment. And and the other thing that's absolutely shocking is that half of all the local newspapers in the United States, as of this moment, are owned by hedge funds, and so yeah. they're stripping out their reporters. They're they're you know uh, pumping in uh, the equivalent of network news, you know stuff. The stuff from AP and Reuters, and 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 so our our news is becoming homogenized and nationalized, and and it's a very much not a good thing. Um, so, Absolutely. Yeah. So
9: I, I was I was frightened yesterday, Tom, when they talked about how many QAnon knuckleheads are going to run for political office. It was it was staggering. The yeah. only thing I can say is follow the money. Yeah, We need to be on that quest
3: to well, follow the and, money. And, and to the last caller, also follow the racism. I mean, this, those two things have now joined hands, as they did Absolutely. in the 1860s. Mm-hmm. And that's a very, very dangerous and toxic mixture. Reginald, i got to run, but thank you for the call. Mary in Waterloo, Iowa. Hey, Mary, what's up?
10: Well, you basically took my subject when you said economics is fueling. You see the people who don't have the money, such as Canadians are not coming across the border because they have decent living wages, they have health care and education, Yep. and then you go to the southern border in Mexico, NAFTA run out how many small farmers plus the yeah. companies down there are paying dollar eighteen. This is the whole problem is money. Mm-hmm. The white economy has kept growing, and wages, and the, the black economy and the other people, Mexicans, they've all do the low wage and we've got two different societies. Until we change the economic wealth between countries and the United States, people stop wanting cheap goods. We're not gonna solve the problem of people coming across the border.
3: Yeah, no, you're, you're absolutely right. And, and it kind of the history of humanity, I mean, or at least the history of modern civilization. Back to Chris Ryan. Mary, thank you. It very often does just boil down to power. And power in a capitalist society is money, it's wealth. Who can own the politicians? Who can buy the politicians? Who can buy public opinion? That's what's going on. On the line with us right now is Wendell Potter, our old buddy, the uh, former health insurance executive, the president of the Center for Health and Democracy, president of Business Leaders for Healthcare Transformation, the founder of Tarbell.org, T-A-R-B-E-L-L.org, and the author of two brilliant books, Deadly Spin and Nation on the Take. His uh, Twitter handle, by the way, is Wendell Potter, at Wendell Potter. The website, BLHCT.org. That's Business Leaders for Healthcare Transformation.org. Uh, Wendell, welcome back to the program. Tell me about this uh, new piece that you wrote about death and debt by deductibles. What, what's your old industry up to now?
4: Up uh, to no good, of course. And it was one of the reasons I left my job at Cigna in the first place. A lot of folks don't know I was a reporter. I was a Capitol Hill reporter for some time. I had a longer career in the health insurance business, and toward the end of that career, it was an industry-wide strategy of moving every last one of us as as rapidly as possible into high-deductible plans. It's clear why that benefits health insurers, because the more people have to pay out of their own pockets, the less they have to pay in claims. And it's one of the big reasons why they've been posting record profits for years now, even after the Affordable Care Act was passed. In fact, the Affordable Care Act, Congress just wasn't uh, keeping an eye on the ball to figure out what insurance companies would do to uh, keep screwing people, and they absolutely are.
3: Yeah. So, let's define terms here. Where were deductibles? 10, 15, 20 years ago. What is the arc, and where are they now? What has this arc of deductibles been like? Perhaps it was your piece uh, read that this is one of the things that has really been chipping away at the uh, you know, roughly 50 or 60 percent of Americans who just have uh, you know, struggle to deal with even a $400 to $1,000 one-time expense in the course of a year. How has that worked out?
4: Well, it's worked out to the detriment of people who are low to moderate income, people of color, People who have chronic health conditions, in particular, people who are accident prone or just happen to have an accident, they're all penalized because of this. Most folks, I guess, can't remember that it hasn't been all that long ago. These were uncommon, these high deductible plans. I joined the industry when we still had a lot of HMOs that had relatively modest co payments. You would pay maybe at the most. Twenty-five bucks to go see a doctor, usually a lot less than that, and ten bucks to pick up a prescription. Insurers decided they could make a lot, a lot more money by abandoning those plans and putting us into high deductible plans. And just a few years ago, it's ten years ago, deductibles were less than half of what they are now. And the Affordable Care Act, when it was passed, Congress set an upper limit on how much people would have to pay in deductibles. But the limit is far, far too high. What uh, is that limit? Over $7,000 for an individual and over 14000 for a family. I
3: mean, getting... but that would probably wipe out 70% of Americans.
4: Oh, it absolutely would. I was just talking to a, a Wall Street Journal reporter this past week about <laughs> this issue, and she said that she, uh, and I'm sure a lot of reporters at the Journal, are in union-negotiated health plans and she's got a $13,000 family deductible. So they're very common, uh-huh. and you're exactly right. For people who don't have $13,000 in the bank, it can absolutely wipe you out. And most families don't have that much money. About, I think, 40%, if not more, of Americans only have about $400 in the bank. Right. So you can see what's happening. And it's a, it's a big reason why people turn to GoFundMe or bankruptcy even with health insurance when they get sick and have to get care
3: are there any statistics when we're talking with wendell potter former insurance industry executive etc are there any statistics on what percentage of people who end up in bankruptcy because somebody got sick were insured versus weren't insured
4: i haven't seen that particular number Uh, it would be very high and to be honest with you one of the reasons i said earlier that i left my job was because of these but i went to see just a witness an outdoor clinic near Rod River, Tennessee several years ago and I found out from those organizers that a lot of people who were there getting charity care said they were told by their insurance companies if they couldn't meet their deductibles see if remote area medical might be having one of these health fairs where they lived so that's why people drive hundreds and hundreds of miles away to these clinics in many cases
3: even when they have insurance what can we do about this Wendell Potter?
4: Well, I'm going to be starting a coalition of organizations in the not-too-distant future that will shine a light on this, and put pressure on Congress and state legislators to do something about this. It's completely out of hand, and, and the insurance companies are happiest as clans, uh, and their shareholders are. But we've got to make sure that Biden administration is paying attention to this. The president keeps talking about how much we've expanded coverage under the Affordable Care Act. But... of people, this is according to the Commonwealth Fund, 40% of people who get their coverage through Obamacare exchanges, these ACA exchanges in the states, are underinsured. That means that their deductibles are so high, they're not picking up their prescriptions. They're not going to the doctor when they need to. And employers are beginning to wake up to this as well, too. I'm also going to be organizing an employer conference as part of Business leaders for healthcare transformation as fault. So we got to get employers to pay attention to this and be vocal about it. Put pressure on Congress and the White House to do something about it.
3: Yeah, it seems to me that the big mistake we made, or at least that the Obama administration made, was expecting or believing that the insurance industry would negotiate in good faith and would behave well. You know, once they were given this multi-trillion-dollar gift, ultimately. You're exactly
4: right. I mean, I, I heard. Then President Obama and candidate Obama, before he was elected, say we needed a public option to keep insurance companies honest. Right. I'm not necessarily sure that would have done the trick, but it might have done something. It would have helped. In the absence of, yeah, it would have helped. And not only do we not did we not get a public option, insurers have just had almost free reign to do what they want to do in terms of making it more difficult for people to get coverage, to get care that they need, even with insurance. And high deductibles is a big, big reason why. Yeah, there
3: you go. President of Business Leaders for Healthcare Transformation, Wendell Potter, former health insurance executive, author of Deadly Spin and Nation on the Take. BLHCT.org is the website. Twitter handle, at Wendell Potter. Wendell, thanks for dropping by. It's always great talking with you.
7: Thank you, Tom. Thank you. Thank you. You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com.